Devotion for the Dying Mary's Call to Her Loving Children by Venerable Mother Mary Potter Continuing Chapter 2 You who know that man's life on earth is a warfare, that we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers, the spirits of darkness in the high places, you who know that the devil as a roaring lion goeth about seeking whom he may devour, you who know this, rise up, strong in Jesus Christ, and fight for your weaker brethren. Nowhere is there more need for great help in the battle than at the deathbed. At no time is there greater need to show our love for our neighbor than at the hour of death. You know yourself that of two sick people, one in danger of dying if not relieved, another whose case is not so serious, you know to which of the two you would first hasten with assistance. Could you see any human being, even were he a stranger, in the jaws of a wild beast and not try to help him? To the credit of the human race, be it said, neither you nor anyone could look on without making some effort to save him. Even children have been known to expose their lives to save others in great danger. And yet what is the human life of the body in comparison with the immortal life of the soul? We are taught that the devil as a roaring lion goes about seeking whom he may devour. We know that he has his clutches already upon many souls who have but a few hours to live. Aye, there are some already within his jaws. They have but a few minutes respite and they are devoured and buried in hell. And yet in those few minutes they can be saved. If we could but see as the angels see the wondrous effect of God's grace upon the soul, the instantaneous transformation that takes place when God's Spirit reads into it but one sigh of sorrow for its sins, if we had but one glimpse of that marvelous work of God in the soul of a sinful child of Adam, we should not wonder that those magnificent creatures of God, the angels, those beautiful spirits whose intelligences are fed with wondrous joy and love from the vision of the divine essence itself. We should not wonder, I say, as perchance we do now, that an exterior work of God could cause a new joy to those who behold God in himself. But we should kneel in earnest prayer that the will of God may be done on earth as it is in heaven, and that we may cooperate with that ever-blessed will of God, who wills not that the sinner should die in his sin, but rather that he should be converted and live forever. We would pray that by thus using the treasures that God has put into our hands, the merits of Jesus, we may daily increase the ravishing harmony, the joyful melody that is heard in heaven upon a sinner doing penance. God gives us a picture of the joy with which he welcomes to himself the returning sinner, in the touching account of the return of the prodigal son to his father's home. We may notice in this parable that the motive for the return of the son to his father was not a very pure or perfect one. It was not sorrow for having left his father and by his bad conduct disgraced his name. It was not a desire to see his father and relieve his anxiety about his long absence from home. Famished with hunger, he remembered the plenty the abundant supply that even the servants of his father's house enjoyed, and he said, I will arise and go to my father. But that good father looked not at the motive of his son's return. He spied him afar off, and went to meet him, and fell on his neck weeping, 
and called to his servants to bring quickly the first robe, and to put shoes on his feet, and a ring on his finger, and to kill the fatted calf and make merry, saying, Because this my son was dead, and is now come to life, was lost, and is found. Thus it is that the sinner more often than not returns to God. It is not with a perfect act of contrition that a soul in most cases returns to God. It is not with a deep sorrow for having offended God, who is so infinitely good in himself, so infinitely good to us, that the soul in general seeks to be reconciled with him. It returns from many motives. The fear of hell, the desire of heaven, the wish to find peace, the feeling of emptiness of all earthly things, and that it is perishing with hunger, hunger for its proper food, the knowledge that the things of this earth cannot supply the void it feels, and that God alone can give to it the food for which it craves, finding by experience that earthly and perishable things cannot sustain an immortal spirit. Various and imperfect as the reasons are that induce the sinner to return to God, God in his love overlooks that imperfection in the free pardon he grants when the sinner fulfills the necessary conditions of pardon as taught us by the church. And like the good father mentioned in the gospel, he goes to meet his prodigal child. By his ministers he clothes the soul in the robe of charity and feeds it, and rejoices over it, and calls on his servants to rejoice. For his son was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. He shows greater love to the forgiven sinner than to those who are ever employed in his service. He tells us himself that there is greater joy in heaven over one sinner doing penance than with ninety-nine just who need not penance. Oh, the joy with which God welcomes back to his loving embrace the child that is strayed from him. Oh, good God, and we may do this work for thee, and yet we do it not. We know that there are souls in danger of eternal separation from thee, and we breathe not a prayer for them. And yet thou hast measured our love for thee by the love we show to others. And we say that we love thee, while souls, immortal souls, are being lost forever. They are in the agonies of death. They are as drowning people surrounded on all sides by waters threatening to engulf them. They rise for a few minutes before they finally sink and are seen no more. So those who have watched the dying, who have witnessed the death struggle which is so hard with some, have seen how they seem to sink and then to come alive again. And many who for years have lost the faculties of their mind regain at the last the use of reason, purposely, as divine providence has designed in numberless cases, to give the soul an opportunity of making good use of the last of the time allotted to it. Oh, that the prayer of some charitable soul may bring a grace at that moment. There may be no time to send for a priest, but an act of perfect contrition will save that soul and restore to it God's grace, if unhappily it has lost it. God treats the sinner who repents with an exceeding goodness, and lavishes on him grace upon grace. We know that to all who use one grace well, another is given, and another upon that. That thus a chain, as it were of graces, is formed, one linked to the other, reaching to eternity. And that one grace lost is a chain of graces lost. 
but the graces that God gives to the returning sinner make our hearts burn within us as we think of it. May we make use of another homely comparison to bring this a little more clearly before us, that so we may love God better and be more anxious to obtain from Him that first grace, the grace of contrition for dying sinners, which is the foundation upon which He will afterwards erect as wonderful a building, process of sanctification commenced even at the hour of death and rapidly developing and ripening, as we see in the case of the penitent thief. Let me then make a comparison that most people will recognize as true. If a good-hearted person has been injured by a friend, either by angry words or in some other of the various ways by which charity is broken, and the friend afterwards feeling grieved for the wrong he has done and for having ruptured the friendship that before existed, comes openly and says so and begs earnestly to be forgiven and asks that what is past may be forgotten, and that they may be to one another what they were before. What, I ask, would a person of good disposition do in such a case? He would not only readily forgive, but he would be demonstrative in showing it. He would be for others, be particularly kind to his friend, and most delicate in never referring to what had passed, carefully avoiding any topic of conversation likely to bring it to the other's mind there would be a new kind of friendship between the one who forgave and the one who had been forgiven, which had not been before. There would be a link not easily broken. This is but a poor comparison after all. But we may increase our confidence in God by thinking that it is thus he acts towards those who are sorry for having offended him, reflecting while we do so on the marvelous condescension of the great God, the creator of all things, who hates intensely, infinitely, the least sin, in whose sight the heavens are not pure, in receiving the sinner back without a word of reproach, but with the promise that he will remember no more his iniquities, and that he will cast his sins into the bottom of the sea, and that though they were as scarlet, they shall be made white as snow. The wonderful graces God pours upon the truly penitent soul but lately, as it were, received back into his favor, make us exclaim in loving admiration, Who is like unto the Lord? And the soul upon whom these graces are bestowed, humbled like St. Peter, could exclaim, Depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. But grateful beyond measure for the love with which it feels itself encompassed and surrounded, murmurs with broken voice to him who it knows is listening, to its humble though bold and loving whisper, I have found him whom my soul loveth. I hold him fast, nor will I ever let him go. Happy soul, if it dies in that act of love. God grant such happiness to us, to you and to me, to the soul now stricken down with but few hours to live. Let us hasten with our prayers to that soul in danger. Let us be bold with God. Let us prostrate ourselves in spirit upon that soul, unprepared to appear before its God, and cry out to Him, If thy hand of justice is about to strike this soul, it must first strike me. Thou hast commanded that I should love my neighbor as myself. I do but fulfill thy command. 
This has been taken from Devotion for the Dying, Mary's Call to Her Loving Children by Venerable Mother Mary Potter, published by Tan Books. For more information, call 1-800-437-5876 or on the web at www.tanbooks.com. This work is in the public domain.